Well, good morning. Um, I hate to ruin the mood by preaching after all that incredible music and time through, through uh, musical worship there, but I guess someone has to speak. And um, if you're an anthemer and if you've known me for a while, you know that I'm an int. Um, I don't say anything unless it takes a long time to say it. And, um, and I tried my best to condense the message today, but I'm telling a story, and sometimes stories just take a little bit longer than, than other things. And so bear with me, and I hope that the, the smell from the lunch doesn't distract us too much. But I will get us into that room here as quickly as possible. But there are just some things that I, I need to share. And I'm going to start just going off of what that, that intro was talking about, light. Uh, light is a beautiful Thing. If, if not for light, we wouldn't get to enjoy the colors of creation. If not for light and its reflection and its refracting, we wouldn't have rainbows and we wouldn't have the, the fall leaves changing color and we wouldn't have the myriad of colors when the sun is going down and you get that cascade of reds and pinks and oranges and lavenders on the, on the horizon there. And, and light's not only a beautiful thing, but light's a necessary thing. It's absolutely vital for, for life. Light, y'all, travels at 186,000 miles per second. Per second, 186,000 miles per second. Our sun, this little medium-sized star in the middle of our solar system, is 93 million miles away from us. And the light that originates on that sun gets here in 8.3 minutes. 93 million miles in 8.3 minutes. And if not for that light we wouldn't be able to live. For that, that light, it's what powers chlorophyll, borophyll, chlorophyll in plants. If not for that, we wouldn't have any photosynthesis and plants would die and the whole food chain would be destroyed. If not for the light that originates on, on our little sun, we'd be an ice planet. We'd be Jotunheim. We'd be a bunch of frost giants at war with Asgard. All right, so uh, there's some other Marvel geeks in the crowd. That's okay. Light is beautiful. Light is necessary. Light is powerful. So just a few months ago, we got to experience the great American eclipse. And people geeked out over something that apparently had never happened in all of history. Eclipses do happen. Anyway, people geek out. And it was pretty cool, I'd admit. And they went from the Pacific coast to the Atlantic coast, and that's neat. And it was a full eclipse, except for here. We didn't get a full eclipse here in Anger we got 93%, which is pretty substantial. 93%, that's a lot. And I remember sitting out in the yard with the special glasses, looking up in, this, in shock at how bright everything still was. We only had 7% of the sun's light, and you really couldn't tell much of a difference. The, the dimming was so slight, and it just stood out to me. We're only getting 7%. And it warded off the night. Only 7% of the sun's light kept, kept darkness at bay. And so there's all this physical light that we enjoy and it warms us and it's beautiful and it's fun to look at and it's necessary for life. But folks, there is another kind of light. There is a better and a greater light. It is a light that is even more beautiful and more necessary and more powerful than all the light of all the stars in all the universe combined, and that is the very light of God. So I don't know if you've noticed, but we live in a pretty dark world. 
Just look at the news. Division, animosity, hostility, fighting, wars, rumors of war, like everything is just bad news. Look at what's going on in, in, with politicians or in Hollywood and all these individuals being outed as sexual predators. And folks, that, that, I'll be honest with you, I'm not surprised in the least. I'm actually surprised that people are surprised. Like our world, our world is a world that's obsessed with excess, with indulgence, and with immorality. And it's have as much as you want, anytime you want it, and it's all good and fair game. And so it's not surprising that we get the culture and the society that we do enveloped in darkness. They got sex trafficking that is a global horror. There's genocide that is happening on the planet. It just goes on and on and on. Drug addiction is on the rise. My friend Coley Price is here. He called me into a meeting earlier this year. He's our town manager. He said, Rick, in all my years of serving in Andrew, I've never seen the drug problem as much as it is right now. It's on the rise here and everywhere else. But folks, it's not just out there in the world where it's dark. It's here and it's our lives, Right? I mean, I don't, I, are any of you dealing with any stress, anxiety, worry, fear, any hurt, any grieving, any disappointment, any brokenness in your life ever, ever happened to you? Any of you facing any trials or struggles in your life? I mean, how many of you are like every day getting in your car and you are just white knuckling it to work and then back home, you're white knuckling it through each day with little to no hope or no joy? Because the truth is that our lives can become quickly and easily eclipsed by the darkness that is real in this world. But the good news and what it is that we actually celebrate today is that there is a light that is available to each and every one of us. And that light is God himself. It tells us in 1 John chapter 1 verse 5, God is is light and in him there is no what there is no darkness in him all goodness all love all grace are in god he is light and he fully offers it freely to anyone that wants his beautiful necessary powerful light that light that transforms our lives for the better god says i am light and i will give it to you. And he gives it to us so much that it changes our lives. So Psalm 27 verse 1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I, whom shall I fear? That when we receive the light of God, there is a boldness and a confidence and a hope and a protection over our mind, our heart, our soul, our body, our life that comes that nothing else can give. On top of that, Psalm 18, verse 28 says, For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. There's no need for any of us to stumble around in the darkness, stubbing our toes. There's no need to be on a path of darkness where we don't know what's next and what's coming and what's happening in our world. God will illumine our steps, our walk, our life. So, I would say that the main way that God shines his brilliant, beautiful, powerful, necessary light is through his people, through his church, through his churches. 
And so today, as has been mentioned a couple of times, we celebrate our fourth anniversary, a major milestone in the life of a, of a church plant. So here we are, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to tell what is, in essence, our church testimony, our church story. And I want to tell this story because I believe that the story shows that Anthem is here, not by our doing or by our invention, but it's by God's doing and that we are here for one reason and one reason only, and that is to shine the bright and beautiful light of God. So you ready? Story time. Get your blanket. Story time. In a galaxy far, far away, a long, long time ago, there was this dude. His name was Hector, my dad. He moves to this land of beauty and wonder known as New Jersey. And there he met... My mom, Juanita, they got married and had me and my sister. And while in New Jersey, my dad developed a very specific set of skills, working on a very specific type of textile machinery. So there we were, and I finished kindergarten, and my mom, she got homesick, so the family moved to Honduras. Not a good time to be growing up in Central America. If you remember late 70s or early 80s, there's a lot of communist insurrection, Sandinistas, anyone remember the Iran-Contra scandal? All of that came out of that kind of mess over there. And so my dad said very wisely, and I am grateful for it, uh, this is not a good place to raise a family. We need to move the family back to the States. Our children are American citizens. They'll have more opportunity in the U.S. So... Uh, he made a phone call, and it turned out that the man that he had worked for in New Jersey had moved to Southern Pines, North Carolina, to start a new textile company. So on the phone, he says, fly into Fayetteville. First impression, right? <laughs> First impression of North Carolina. Fly in. Sorry if anyone lives or is from Fayetteville. I just offended a bunch of people. Anyway, um, fly into Fayetteville. I'll pick you up at the airport, you and your family, and you have a job on day one. Sounds good. For, so for one thing, we land, and the guy stood us up at the airport. Now, that's bad enough, right? Hector and Juanita speak no English. I'm eight, my sister's four. Two suitcases and whatever cash my dad has in his pocket. Now, husbands, fathers, put yourself in those shoes. What have I just done to my family? Well, he makes some phone calls, he scrambles, and turns out that there is a textile company with the equipment that he knows how to work on in Anger. <laughs> so that's how we end up in Anger, North Carolina, in 1980. 81. So for the sake of time, otherwise we'd be here a really, really long time. I'm going to fast forward. We're going to get into the time machine and travel 30 years. A lot of stuff happened. We'll just ignore it for now. Summer of 2011, I started sensing God was preparing me for something, preparing that God was working in my heart, in my life. There's like a restlessness and if, if you've ever been there, it's awkward because you know it's coming and you know it's going to be big and it's a little scary and you want, you're going to be timid. But God starts working on me. And for a full, full year, I'm thinking, wondering, praying, what, what is this? What is this? And in summer of 20,000, 20, <laughs> let me bring the, the time machine back. Uh, in the year of uh, 2012, uh, God made it very clear, move to Anger and plant a church. All right. 
it took a miracle to get me there for two reasons. One, when I graduated from high school, Harnett Central, I had no intention of ever, ever coming back to this town. I'm way too cosmopolitan for little Andrew. Um, and not only that, when you grew up in Andrew, when I grew up, when there was no Hispanic families and there's a bunch of white folks and a bunch of black folks and you're the weird one, there's a little bit of weird emotional baggage with that. And so I, I had no intention of wanting to come back here. Not only that, I had no desire to plant a church. I know how hard it is. I know enough friends who've tried it, done it. I don't want to do that. And so God worked me down. Over, and this actually goes back a little bit further, but I'm not going to go there. It actually took God several years to work me down. I, I always joke that it took God a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a millisecond to create the entire cosmos, and it took him years to change my heart. So, but he did. He prevailed. And so... In August of 2012, we started putting together what we call a church planting team. Basically, it was a small group Bible study. And it actually was nine families that came together and started thinking and wondering over what, what this would mean and what this would look like. And, and I, I mean this, and I mean this as sincerely as I can say it. In the history of church planting... No church planting pastor has been nearly as blessed as I have been with the folks that God put together. The Honeycuts, the Caspers, the Bongs, the Adams, the Riggs, the Grays, my sister, her family, my parents, etc. That group that came together and we would meet and we would wonder and we would dream and just to think about the, the talents and the gifts that I didn't even know these folks had, the dedication and the commitment. Folks, we would not be here. We wouldn't be as healthy as we are. We wouldn't be as far along as we are if not for individuals like John and Jeff and Vonda and, and all the others. I don't want to miss any names. So this group, they are the backbone, and I'm so grateful. So good. If you know any of these folks, after the service, shake their hand, hug their neck, say thank you, because they still serve at a massive level, at a massive level in the life of our church. So we're going to fast forward just a few months to the spring of 2013, and me and Jamie, it's time to move to Anger, and uh, we start looking around, driving around, trying to find a church, well, not, I'm sorry, a house, <laughs> trying to find a house to live in. And meanwhile, I'm, we're looking to see, is there any building facility somewhere where our church could operate out of? So as we're driving around, we happen to drive through what is this location, 455 West Depot Street. And we're driving and notice, like, it looks empty. And didn't know whether anyone was using it or not. Didn't know who it belonged to. And so we just kept driving. And a few days later, we're still driving around looking for house. And all of a sudden, there's a phone number out front. Coincidence. As Jeff would share last week, there's no such thing as coincidences. The building had been empty for five years. And all of a sudden, when we're looking, voila, here appears a phone number. Okay. So I called the phone number and we scheduled a meeting with the owner, Mr. Mr. Bob Barker. And uh, we met here and he walked us around the place and... Um, 
I just cornered him and I asked him, I was like, so uh, what do you think? And he said, be honest with you, I'm just looking to unload some properties. I'm not looking to rent it or lease it. Um, by the way, the last tenant paid, it was almost $8,000 a month. So yeah, that ain't going to happen because we've never even had a church service at this point. So we can't buy the building. We definitely can't afford that much rent per month. And he saw the look on my face. He said, well, I've got another place nearby. Maybe that'll work. And so we drove a mile and a half down the road to what it is that I call the mother of all warehouses. This is where they make warehouses. It is this ginormous building with like, it's got like wiring like strung across the place, no insulation, no air conditioning, no heating, nothing. It is a shell of a building. And it's huge. I mean, it's an airport hangar. It's massive. And so, but we're joking. It's like, well, maybe we could have the first ever drive-in church. Like, <laughs> You could put hundreds of cars in this place. You could run your air conditioner so you wouldn't get hot. You tune into the Anthem Church radio station, listen to the message through that. And it sounded good until we realized that everyone would die of carbon monoxide poisoning. And so, well, that's not a good idea. So Mr. Barker, on his own, he said, this, this won't work. You can't put a church in here. The other place, meaning this place, is way better. So let me go home, I'm going to talk to my wife, and let's see what we can do. So he called two days later, which happened to be the day that me and Jamie were driving to Andrew to do our final walkthrough on the house that we were buying. I mean, we're moving. We have no idea what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen. We're just taking a step of faith, and here we go. We're about to close on a house, and he calls me. He says, is this a good time? Yes, sir. Children are crying in the back seat, all that. He's like, uh, Rick, I talked to my wife. Uh, yeah, you can uh, have the building, get in there, do what you got to do to it. How's $1,000 a month sound? I heard a wow in the crowd. We should have a wow response to this. 20,000 square feet facility on two acres within the city limits, and we knew we wanted to be within the city limits, on a major highway with plenty of parking and a sprinkler system. <laughs> Folks, it does not get any better. Most of you, I wonder if you pay more than $1,000 a month just in your mortgage. And here we're getting all of this for only $1,000 a month. Now, one of the great challenges of being a church start is facility. Where are you going to do this? How are you going to do this? Location matters. It just does. This is a great location. 15,000 plus cars drive by, probably 18 at this point. That's a stat from several years ago. Big enough. One of the challenges is that a facility can bottleneck your growth and you can't do anything if you can't grow. So room to grow in. In something that's not going to kill our budget, something that we can actually afford and still do ministry. And so God provides all this. And so what an amazing thing that God would provide this, this building for us in the way that he did for pennies on the dollar. And so we're so excited. I shared it with the group. We're just so excited about this miracle that God is doing. This building had been waiting for us for five years. The celebration came to an abrupt halt 
when we discovered that the building was zoned a commerce park. Doesn't mean anything to about a couple of us, but that means that a church can't meet here as per town regulation statutes and zoning. So I said, all right, we'll just rezone the building. Ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is wonderful. It's a wonderful thing. I walk over to town hall. I walk in. I happen to know that Coley Price is the town manager. Well, he's a few years older. I won't say how much older, but he's older than me. We knew each other, but it's not like we were buddies. He's old enough, like, but I walked in and said, hey, Coley, I'm Rick, do you remember me? Oh, yeah, and we had an impromptu meeting there at Town Hall, and in comes this old dude. Turns out it's the mayor. I'm like, oh, really sweet. Let's have an impromptu meeting. And we start, I start talking. Like, hey, you know, we're trying to start a church. This building's been offered to us. And I've joked with this with Coley before. He said what I consider to be the greatest understatement ever uttered by human lips. Well, it's not impossible, but it'll be difficult. <laughs> Understanding the female mind is difficult. <laughs> Rezoning is more like I'm going to get an IRS audit while a clown performs a root canal. Like, like that's, that's more more in line with what the rezoning process is. So I was like, all right, well, we'll go through the process. And we started the process. And there are several steps. But the two main ones is we had to present before what is called the planning board. And then after that, go before the town board. And so we, we did that. And, and just so that you guys know, I mean, some of you are from here or you've been around long enough. And, and I'm just, just being factual here that both boards, neither one has a good track record when it comes to working with churches in regards to reallocating property in town. So when it comes to rezoning, churches have tried for 15, 20 years, churches have tried to plant within the city limits and unsuccessfully because, and it's not that any of them are anti-church, none of them are anti-Christian, there's just precedent and stature and, and things in regards to how we're going to use the land in town and, and the best way to appropriate it. I get it, I even agree with it, right? So, but that's just the way that it was. And so anyway, that's just how it, how it is, how it was. And on June 11th, 20. 13, we had to go and present before the planning board. And just so that you know, the planning board has no real decision-making authority. They just, they're a sounding board. They, they hear a case and offer a recommendation, thumbs up, thumbs down, to the town board, which actually makes the decision. So we put a, a presentation together, and I've got a sales background. I, I could put a presentation together, and I, I, I consult with some of our guys, and we put this thing together, and, and we show up, and I'm like, this will be easy. Except for, like, right before that meeting, uh, I get contacted by a local reporter who's grown up here and been here all his life. And he says, good luck, but you know you're going to get voted down because this is what they do. And I'm like, jerk. <laughs> like, that's encouraging. Like, why would you say that? Anyway. I've forgiven them, kind of. <laughs> so we go before the planning board. I present, and it's time for them to deliberate because it's a public forum. They have to talk. And it became very clear very early that they really weren't interested in rezoning what is prime property in the city limits, a nice building for church purposes as opposed to commercial purposes. 
And we're sitting there talking, and, and I mean, uh, folks, I can't tell you, it's, it really is not going our way. Just because of what they're saying and asking, it's clear. They're going to vote us down. And then I kid you not, we saw a miracle. And there are a few of us in here tonight, today, that were there on that night. We saw a miracle that evening. We saw God reach into the heart of one of the men and change it. He looked right at me, and he says, Rick, I came tonight already having made up my mind for how to vote because we have a precedent for how we vote on matters like this. And then he put his head down, a good long pause, and he looked at me with tears in his eyes. He says, but I'm convinced. And he called for a vote, and God did something where all of a sudden this board that never would go the way of a church in regards to rezoning went four to two in favor in favor and it reminds me of proverbs 21 verse 1 where it says the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the lord he turns it wherever he will we saw god turn a heart in a stream in the heart of someone of influence in our town, and of a whole board. Well, we rejoice in that. It was great, but that was, that was the, the, the front end of what needed to happen. The real thing would take place a month later on, oh no, excuse me, on July 2nd. We had to go before the town board of commissioners. So I retooled the presentation, tried to make it a little beefier, a little bit better, cut some stuff out, put some new stuff in. I'm ready. We go in there. And I present, and the mayor then says what the mayor has to say. He called the board to deliberate and to render a decision, which is their responsibility. So, gentlemen, you've heard what uh, Mr. Gutierrez had to say. Discuss and decide. Silence for at least, at least one minute. Nothing, not a peep. So then the mayor, a second time, gentlemen, you understand your obligation at this meeting, discuss, decide. Another minute or two, total silence. A third time, the mayor asks, discuss, decide. These are good old boy politicians. When can you ever shut them up? <laughs> when is a politician ever at a loss for words? And all they did is that they, would, they were looking down at the desk in front of them. And then the mayor offered something that made me cringe in the moment. Well, you can decide to table the discussion until the next meeting the next month. No. And they bit on it. I said, all right, that's what we'll do. And that's what they decided to do. So we show up the next month, August 6th. That's still that 2013. Folks, I came with everything I possibly could come with. I came going blazing. I was going to go down in a blaze of glory. 
Like, it wasn't going to be because I didn't present with everything in me. It wasn't going to be because I didn't have all the answers and everything to, to, to give to them. And it was extremely obvious to me. I was 99.9% .9 certain they were going to vote us down. Their tone, their language, what they were saying, their posture, everything was saying, we're about to say no to you. I was bracing for impact. They wouldn't look me in the eye. When I, the whole time I presented. And so I, I sat down and I'm like, oh, Lord, what, what are we going to do? What are we going to do now? And then one of the commissioners, he asked a question that turned the tide. Why he asked this to this day, I don't know. But all of a sudden he goes, why does Andrew need a laid back church? Meaning, why does Andrew need a church where people can show up in jeans and it's casual. Folks, it started getting a little rowdy. I would call it Christian rowdy up in there in a nice way. People got up. And all of a sudden, people started coming to the microphone because, no, 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 no. Well, actually, this might be a good thing. There were, we had a good crowd, anthem crowd in support there. There were people there on other business that got up and took the microphone in support of. No, actually, this, this might be a good thing. I, I actually live in another town, and I wouldn't be going to church if that town didn't have a laid-back church. And it's going, and it's going, and it's going, and it's not getting anywhere. Every time. Then, to my shock... My dad. My dad gets up. Hector, shy, quiet, doesn't speak in public, ever. He gets up and he takes the microphone. And I remember sitting there, I'm like, what is about to happen? I, I, what's he about to say? I have no idea. And so my dad stood in front of the mayor and in front of the commissioners that night. And he told a story. I said, gentlemen, I, I worked at the textile plant for so many years. And there was a Monday when one of the ladies that we worked with, she came in crying and mad, crying and mad, crying and mad all day long. And they finally were able to, to get out of her what was wrong. And she said, yesterday, Sunday morning, I went to church. And all the women in church were making fun of me because I wasn't dressed as nice as them. And then she said, I will never go to church again. Not that church. I will never go to church again. And so my dad followed up that story with saying, this is why Andrew needs this church. He went to the back and sat down and as he's walking, one of the commissioners actually looked at me, and he literally just nodded. And when he did that, I was sitting in my chair. I leaned back, and I crossed my arms, and I smiled because I knew in that moment God had given it to us. They rendered a vote, and it went 4-0. It went unanimous in favor of rezoning this property that we may use it as a church facility. And I always want, like to tell that story for this reason. Who 
would have ever guessed that an immigrant from Costa Rica, seemingly randomly arriving in this little town 30 years earlier, would be the one that God would use to convince the town board of a southern rural town to rezone a property that we may shine the light of Jesus. You can't write that story. Only God can. Only God can write that story. Then begins the work of trying to upfit this building. Keep in mind that we have never had a worship service. We got no money. <laughs> We've never passed an offering basket. $45,000 is what it costs to get this place to a minimum play, standard to where we could operate out of. God provided every penny. Pews, chairs. There's a whole other story behind the chairs. We don't have time today. AV equipment, the furniture, the furnishings, everything God says here is everything you need. Everything you need. Everything you need. And so here we go, and we got going. We're doing our thing. We're dedicated to our mission, Phil Landry in the world with love, Phil, faith, Phil, hope, Phil, followers of Jesus. We're two and a half years in, and God just, he threw us a curveball at this point. He told us in July of 2016, a year and a half ago, he said, uh, the landlord calls me. He says, Rick, I have to sell the building. Panic? Stress? Anxiety? We were averaging about 94 people, and that's including little babies at the time. We were in no financial situation to purchase a building. In fact, I'd been praying God make, lead him please not to even increase our rent. So I start doing what you got to do. What are our options? So I'm driving around town, and I'm asking people in town, what are the other options, folks? And let me tell you, there are no other options in town. Drive around. There is nothing else in town. We would have to go from 20,000 square feet to about 3,000 square feet, and it would cost three times more in rent. There was no viable plan otherwise. There's no other way. And on top of that, God made it so clear to me, and I had to carry this. This is the play, Rick. This is it. You have to buy the building. And he told me to keep that to myself. That was hard. This is the only play, Rick. It's like, all right. He just didn't tell me how it's going to happen, which is the frustrating part. So I start doing research, and I'm actually calling church consultants, people that help churches do fundraising, because surely they can help. So I told them at the time, I said, we're actually averaging around 80, because we lost some families right after the news came out. Gideon moment. So... We lost some families, and so we're going the wrong way. That's okay. I said, well, we're averaging around 80, including babies. Uh, this is our budget. Uh, we have nine months to raise the minimum down payment in order to buy what is several hundred thousand dollar facility. These are Christians who help churches to raise money, and all of them, all of them said, uh, anything is possible, but we've never heard of a church being put in that situation. We don't even know what to tell you to do. God knew. 
We put a little plan in place. Asked our church family, will you give sacrificially to this? And they did. Then I really pushed the envelope and asked people to send letters. <laughs> like Campus Crusade staff or like a missionary. And I told them, I said, we're no different than the missionary in China. We're just the missionary here. So what's wrong with asking someone for money? So we're going to send a letter out to friends and family. And maybe God will provide that way. And bank accounts going up, but we're way off. And then one day, uh, someone called who's connected to our church. They own a banquet hall in Cary. And they said, I'm aware of the situation you and the church are in. You need to do a fundraiser dinner. You can use the space for free. Nice. I'll donate all the food for free. Super nice. <laughs> and we put this dinner together and we walked out with what is ultimately $64,000. One night, 80 people, 84 people in the room. God is good. But let me tell you, we were still a long way from where we needed to be. It's getting closer, and the time of truth came when I had to sit down with the owner and uh, actually negotiate a price. Because that really was going to determine what, what we were going to be able to do. The place appraised for $500,000 on his own with no haggling. He said, I'll sell it for three ninety-five. 79% of the actual value of the property. Keep in mind, he'd been renting it to us for over three years for only $1,000 a month. He was paying all the insurance and all the taxes. He was losing money. Folks, if you ever think about it, pray for Mr. Barker and his family and his business. For that man is a blessing to us, and we would not be here if not for the generosity that God showed through him. Long story short, in nine months' time, we raised, God provided $165,000. In this July, we purchased this building. Two and a half years into the life of a church plant, we were able to buy a 20,000 square foot facility within the city limits on a major highway with plenty of parking and a sprinkler system. <laughs> and folks, I don't want to be misunderstood in telling this story. We're not a building-centric church. We're not about brick and mortar. The church is not a building, and it's not limited to an address. I tell the story first and foremost to give God all of the glory and all of the honor and all of the praise for doing something that only he could do. To, I tell the story to show that we're not here by accident or randomly or that we conjured this up or that somehow we like just muscled our way through it. God did this. We are here today because God did this. Everything. God has been doing this for at least 35 years at this point, and I would say from eternity ago. The other reason I tell this story is because this whole building thing serves as an analogy. It serves as an analogy for what it is that we're here to do. Because we're not here to repurpose a building. We're here to repurpose lives. 
We're not here up here to up, up fit a building. We're here to uplift lives. We're not here to, to restore 455 West Depot Street. We're here to restore this town and this area with the light of Jesus. This is why everything that has happened, that is why we are here. And I firmly believe this, that God is blessing us and his hand of favor has been and will continue to be upon us because we are unwavering and unapologetic and bold about our mission to make disciples, that we are here to fill Andrew and the world with love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled followers of Jesus. It's why we do Everything, everything on our calendar, everything in our budget. How can we leverage every minute, every penny, every person? How can we leverage it for the glory of God and the eternal good of others? Everything we do. Back to talking about our solar system and the sun. So in the middle of our solar system, there's this run-of-the-mill star. It's an average star. Amazing how much light comes off of it, right? And if you ever study stars, there are these forces that have to work in balance with one another. There's this incredible gravitational force that keeps it together, that holds it together. But then there's this other force, this nuclear reactor, in essence, that just spits off light and energy and power and heat. And the, the explosions are so fierce that the light escapes the gravitational pull. Well, there is a phenomenon in the cosmos in which, at times, the gravitational force of a star overwhelms it. And it collapses in on itself. It's called a black hole. Where the gravity becomes so intense and so fierce that even light cannot escape Light that travels at 186,000 miles per second cannot escape because the gravity is so intense. And one thing I know is that Anthem Church, we are here to be a bright, shining star in this community in which we shine out the radiance of the glory of God's grace. There is a gravitational force of love that pulls us together, that holds us together, that draws us close, but that force will never overtake the reaction of the gospel that has to go out. We will not become an inward-focused church where we collapse upon ourselves and it's all about our, our little programs and our little bells and whistles as a church. No, because the second that we do that, we become a black hole. And when we do that, we will cease to shine the light into this community that so desperately needs to see it. It tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, it says there, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, the all-powerful creator, the one who said in the beginning, let there be light, has shined his light into our hearts through his son Jesus Christ. He shines his light by his grace through faith in Jesus, who he himself in John 8, 12 said, 
I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. And that is what we celebrate at Christmas. That God himself, who is light, came into this world. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. He came into this world. He was tempted in every way, just like we're tempted in every way. But unlike us, he never sinned. And in love, he went to a cross. And upon that cross, your sin and your guilt and your shame and your moral failures and your spiritual shortcomings and all of the the lies and the gossip and the malice and the anger and the greed and the covetousness and the lust and the pride and all of that, all of that that we do were placed upon the shoulders of Jesus. And there he paid the price. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have fallen short of the standard. We have disobeyed God. And God himself said, the wages of sin is death. And Jesus says, but I love you and I will take that off of you. I will pay the price that you cannot pay, that you may be spared and receive mercy and love. Be transformed in from a sinner into an agent of light. And if you've received the light of Christ, there's only one thing to do, and that is to shine the light of Christ in this world. Shine the love and the truth of Jesus. Shine the gospel into your community, into your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, and your friends. Anthem Church is here to shine. And God's hand has been with us clearly from the beginning and before. And he's done some wonderful things in our midst. Greater things are still to come. There's more, there's greater, there's bigger that is in store. And like I told the church a year ago when we were frantic over, are we going to be able to buy the building? I say, hold on. We have a front row seat to watching God do the miraculous. So I invite you all to take a front row seat in watching what only God can do. And beyond that, not just to watch it, but to be part of it. To give of yourself and to give yourself over to this incredible story. Dare I say song, dare I say this anthem that God is writing in the world. So my question to you, do you want a front row seat in seeing God do greater things and being a part of that? I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes and to give praise and honor and glory to Jesus. Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you. If you're here this morning and you've never crossed over into a relationship with him, but you're still wandering in darkness and you've never received the light of Christ, you can do so right now where you're sitting. Just confess your sin to God. Turn from it and just say, God, give me your grace. Forgive me of my sin. I I give my life. I pledge my life to follow you all the days of my life. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're here, find courage and strength in this story that we just heard of, that God still works, that God is the God of miracles, that he's still active in our lives, in our community, and in our worlds. And say, God, show me how you want me to be part of the greater things that you are doing.
Lord Father, today is a day in which we give you praise. We celebrate your grace. We celebrate the gift of your Son. We celebrate Jesus paying for our sin on the cross. We celebrate the power of the empty tomb and the hope that we have, Lord, that you call us to yourself, Lord. We don't have to be good enough. We don't earn it. Lord, it is simply a gift of grace to be received by believing in your Son. And I thank you for that gift of grace and mercy. I thank you that you have not left us in the dark, but that you, the God of light, you shine your light into darkness. You shine your light into our hearts, Lord. And I do ask, if there's anyone here who has never received your light, Lord, that now that you would shine brightly upon them. For the rest of us, Jesus, I ask that we would walk into our home, in our neighborhood, our cul-de-sac, our places of work, wherever we play or school, wherever we may be, and that we would shine, that we would shine, that we would shine. Lord, fill us with your spirit and with boldness and courage and joy and truth that we may be part of something amazing of the greater things that you, Lord, have purposed to do in our city and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.